Before uh, Aaron and Amanda came up front, we were sitting right behind them, and Aaron turned to me and he said, I'm sorry for crowding out the sermon time tonight. And I said, oh, not at all. Because this is what we're called to do. And I mentioned to him, and we've been saying this ever since our renovation and even before, we're not interested in our seating capacity We're interested in our sending capacity. And I pray that God raises up some of you tonight to go, and the rest of us, we either go or we send, right? And that the rest of us would become serious about our sending. I want to give a couple of updates uh, before we uh, jump in tonight. Uh, First is Pastor Dan is now home. He came home Thursday night, yes. Pastor Dan, some of you are here for the first uh, time tonight. Pastor Dan is our pastor over missions, has been working with the Langworthies very closely. He also provides leadership for our Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Uh, Pastor Dan has had, I think it's now over, uh, meningitis, and so he's home now. Uh, But they're still waiting on some test results to come in and a treatment plan going forward. Uh, So uh, just keep that in mind as you pray for them and as you look for ways to reach out and encourage them. Uh, The other update I want to give you is we have 30 people in Israel, uh, and they come back on Tuesday night. Here's a picture. They're in Jerusalem right here. I think they've already visited Gethsemane and the Garden tomb and everything's going well there. So God, we thank you uh, for what you're doing here, for how you're stirring us to a white hot devotion to you and to your love for the nations. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Dan and how he and Beth have served as missionaries in Thailand and how you've used Dan in multiple ways to mobilize others uh, to go and to equip them in their going. Lord, now Dan and Beth stand in need of prayer. We come alongside them as their church family. Lord, we pray when they're anxious and nervous and unsettled and worried that you would be their rock, their strength, their stronghold, that you, Jehovah Shalom, would fill them with your peace. And Lord, give the doctors, the team of doctors, wisdom as they determine next steps. Ultimately, would you bring healing to Pastor Dan all for your glory and your honor. Lord, we also want to pray for the Israel team. Thank you that they're not just touring, they're not just having fun. Lord, we thank you for life change that's taking place. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the growing sense of awe for who you are, that you sent your son Jesus to this planet, and they got to walk where Jesus himself walked. Lord, we pray, Lord, as they come back, would you use what they have learned uh, to uh, teach all of us, and Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do as a result. Lord, now as we open up your word, thank you that your word is alive, and it's active, and it's sharp. There's parts of it that sting, uh, because, well, we need to be corrected, we need uh, to be rebuked, and Lord, there's other times when your word is like, as sweet as honey, 
And Lord, when we're thirsty, your, your word just goes into those parched areas of our soul. So Lord, tonight, would you use your word in ways that just bring you glory, that ultimately then line us up with your purposes and your plans uh, for what you have for each of us individually and for a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, on Monday, our nation marked Memorial Day. Uh, This day is also known as Decoration Day, and it was established to mark a day that we would always remember the ultimate sacrifice men and women in the military have made for us. And so we've used monuments, we've used memorials, even parades, all of that's designed to help us remember not to ever forget. I came across an image that captures this well. A businessman with his head bowed placed his hand on a memorial wall, and in the reflection, you can see images of soldiers who have died with one of those hands rising up to meet his hand. And I posted this picture on Monday, and I added this phrase as application for us tonight. Don't ever forget to remember, and remember to not ever forget. Last weekend, many of you rediscovered hope as we focused on how God can restore what has been ruined in our lives. Our focus today is on another word that begins with R-E. It's the word remember. Here's what I'm hoping we get. Don't ever forget to remember what God has done for you. Now, the word remember means to recall, to mark, to set aside. But in the Bible, remembering is not just bringing something back to your mind, like, oh yeah, I remember now, that's that person's name, or I remember that event. No, it's much more than that. It's bring something back to your mind so that your behavior changes, so that our lives line up with what we've been reminded of. So remembering then is not a passive attitude. Listen, it's a proactive activity which leads to action. Let me say it like this. We're to ponder and then put into practice. Or we're called to remember so we can recalibrate our lives according to what we've just been reminded of. Theologian Michael Horton writes, in our Western intellectual heritage, remembering means recollecting something that is no longer a present reality. Nothing could be further from a Jewish conception. For example, in their practice, remembering means participating here and now in certain defining events in the past and also in the future. So in this sense, to remember is to embrace and to own for ourselves. The word remember is used some 200 
times in the Bible. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I forget. And so do you. We all forget. We forget God's faithfulness while neglecting our faith. In short, you and I need reminders to remember because if we don't, we'll rebel. If we don't remember, we'll rebel. See, one of the results of living in a fallen world is forgetfulness. And that's why God spends so much time encouraging us to remember. Oh, I wish I could take the time to go over the 200 and some verses. I won't, but I'm going to just select some. Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Don't ever forget that, God said. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. God's like, don't forget that. Psalm 106, verse 7. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. Now notice how he links not remembering with their rebellion. But you rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. See, it's easy when you're young to say, I'll get serious about God later. God says, no, remember me now while you're young. Oh, let's keep going. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind. He remembered and therefore I have hope. Oh, over in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ. What do we remember about him? Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And then you come to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and you're established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. (laughs) Oh, this is so helpful for us, because here's what happens. The longer we're Christians, we're like, oh yeah, I know that. Oh, I know that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Oh, the pastor's preaching on that again? Heard it before. Isn't it interesting? Peter's not saying, I'm going to teach you guys something new. He's saying, you guys already know this, but I need to stir you up by way of reminder. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Why? Well, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Oh, just one more, book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 5. He's writing to a church. Ooh, these are hard words, but they're good words because it it leads to forgiveness and restoration. Verse 5, chapter 2. Remember, therefore, 
from where you have fallen. Remember where you were at. Repent and do the works you did at first. Friends, don't ever forget to remember what God has done for you. Now, the preeminent picture of redemption in the Old Testament is the exodus of Israel from Egypt, and it's memorialized in the Passover meal. So in Exodus chapter 12, we learn about the roots of Passover. So the head of the family was to take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, and he was to slaughter it at twilight. And then he was to take the blood and place the blood on the sides and over the doors of the tops of the doorframe. That same family, that same night, the family ate a meal of roasted lamb. They ate some bitter herbs and they ate some unleavened bread. Why'd they have unleavened bread? Because they were to be ready to leave quickly, to be ready to travel because God was about to unleash plague number 10 which was he was going to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians, including cattle. And only those who were under the blood of the lamb would be passed over. Some of you are like, oh, that's what Passover means. Yes, Passover. Have the blood over your door. The angel of death passes over and you are safe. So after being freed from the Egyptians, God's people enjoyed a covenant relationship with the Almighty for hundreds of years. Passover became this annual meal, like this memorial meal. Well, listen to verse 25. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. So the meal was designed to be a yearly reminder of who, or better, whose they were. One commentator writes, it's not dry history to be learned, but dynamic history to be lived. They participated in the meal because they were partakers of the reality of this redemption as Israelites. Friends, don't ever forget to remember what God has done for you. Sadly, the Israelites forgot all the time. Just read the Old Testament. As a result, they rebelled. As a result of their forgetfulness, they became unfaithful. When you fast forward to the prophet Jeremiah, we discover God's plan had always involved what's called the new covenant. The inauguration of a new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, behold, the days are coming, (laughs) declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So just as The Passover meal recalled God's rescue of Israel from slavery. The Lord's Supper reminds us of our rescue from slavery to sin. Fast forward. It's the night before Jesus was crucified. And he had a final memorial meal with his closest followers. This was much more than just a social gathering like, hey, let's catch supper together, and it wasn't that. No, this meal was rich in spiritual meaning with sweet symbolism going all the way back to the first Passover. 
So to prepare the Passover itself, Peter and John, well, they would have taken a lamb to the priest to have it slaughtered. And after the priest blew a threefold blast from their trumpets and collected the blood in gold and silver bowls, that bowl would be handed to another priest who would splash the blood upon the altar. While all of that is going on, the people were singing in praise to the Lord. They were led by the Levites. The lyrics for that are found in your songbook, Book of Psalms, chapters 113 through 118. They sang those psalms, those sounds filling the temple. Well, after the priests returned the lamb to them, they roasted it over pomegranate wood. The 12 disciples gathered. They took their places around the table, wearing their best garments, being at rest. In fact, to express this idea, the rabbis insisted that at least part of the feast should be taken, partaken in a reclined position, like on their side. By the way, da Vinci hasn't helped us out here, has he? Because in most of our minds, we picture Jesus at a table with all 12 lined up looking out at the artist who's drawing the Last Supper. Now, I don't mean that any disrespect to da Vinci, but we got to get that out of our mind and put something like this in our mind. It's a meal. It's a Passover meal. They're reclining. Well, all this explains Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 16. And when the hour came, he, do you see the word? He reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That phrase, earnestly desired, literally means I have desired with desire. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus was set on celebrating this supper that night, a Passover meal, because he knew that he was going to bring some deeper meaning into this memorial meal. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Each element of the Passover meal had symbolic significance. The unleavened bread represented the haste with which Israel left Egypt. Bitter herbs reminded them of the tears of the Jewish slaves. A paste-like puree was prepared to look like clay to recall their forced labor. The Passover lamb helped them remember God's merciful passing over Israel. And the wine symbolized the blood sprinkled on their doorposts. It's likely, by the way, that Jesus would have held up four different cups, each representing one of the I will statements from Exodus chapter 6. Cup number one, often called the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from under. Cup number two, I will deliver you from slavery, often called the cup of plagues or sometimes the cup of wrath. Very interesting. 
They didn't drink out of this cup. Why? Because the Savior drank the cup of wrath for us. To recall the ten plagues, ten drops of wine were often poured on a plate during the meal. Cup number three. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Cup number three is referred to as the cup of redemption. And this cup, when it was filled, was filled to overflowing with the wine even running down the sides. Why was it overflowing? To represent God's grace. And cup number four, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. That's the cup of gathering. That cup is to be drunk at the second coming. Now, the supper began with Jesus as the host. He pronounces a benediction over the first cup. Then a table was brought in with the roasted lamb. Jesus would have taken some of the bitter herbs dipped them in sauce, eaten some, and given some to others. By the way, that's background to this curious verse. He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. So immediately after this, all the dishes were removed from the table and the second cup of wine would be filled. At this point, it was customary for a son to ask his father this question. Hey, Dad, how is this night distinguished from all other nights? Well, that particular night, Jesus, serving as host, would have recited the history of Israel. He would have focused on Abraham and then their deliverance under the leadership of Moses from Egypt and the giving of the law. The dishes were then put back on the table. Jesus would have taken the symbols in succession, starting with the Passover lamb and then the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread as he briefly explained the importance of each one. Everything was going according to Passover plan. The disciples knew the drill. They could recite every word. The faith tradition in which I was raised, when I go back to that church, I still know what's going to be said. I still, to this day, have it memorized. It doesn't go off script. It's the same wherever you go and whenever you go, it hasn't changed. That's similar. The disciples are like, okay, this is what happens at Passover. Now we do this. Now we do that. Until, oh, would you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks... Okay, that's what was usually done. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you in your place 
instead of you. Do this, here's the word, in remembrance of me. (laughs) I imagine the disciples dropping their forks at this point. I don't know if they used forks, probably didn't. They did not see this coming. This was not part of the Passover. And as Jesus took the unleavened bread, he uttered words of thanks. He broke it into pieces. The bread probably looked something like this. And then he handed it out to his followers, to his disciples at the table. But why do you use bread? Well, the bread is a symbol for his body, which is about to be bruised and battered for them. This had to have stunned them. (laughs) Now, before they could fully recover from that shocking statement, we read in Luke 22, verse 20, and likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, they're used to the cup, right? They were used to four cups, at least four cups at that table. He picks up this cup, But what does he say here? Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you, (laughs) what's he say? Is the new covenant. Oh, didn't Jeremiah say something about that? That there's a new covenant coming? Jesus is inaugurating a new covenant covenant oh he's not done notice what he says this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood they're like what i wonder if they're like what did he say in his blood see biblical covenants were ratified by blood Hebrews 9.15, therefore he's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death, blood has been shed, has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. I've already said it, but I don't want you to miss it. He uses the phrase for you twice. It's a term of substitution. Jesus gave his body in your place and he shed his blood as your substitute so you and I don't have to shed our blood. And the phrase this do or do this is a present imperative meaning keep on doing it. Now Acts chapter 20 verse 7 tells us that the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. And as far as we know, this memorial meal was celebrated with great dignity, great decorum. We could read about that in Acts chapter 2. But when you get to the church at Corinth, they had messed things up. It was chaotic. It was confusing. People were eating selfishly and they weren't thinking about others. And so I want to take our remaining time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because here we see some correctives that Paul gives to the church. And these have direct application to our life today. So let's remember, communion is for sinners in Corinth 
and communion is for sinners in the quad cities. And we don't want to approach this time of communion in a careless, callous, or cavalier way. So let's not ever forget to remember what God has done for us. The words of Puritan John Flavel are helpful in distinguishing between two types of remembering. Here's what he says. A speculative remembrance is only to call to mind the history of such a person and his sufferings. An affectionate remembrance is when we so call Christ and his death to our minds as to feel the affectionate impressions thereof upon our hearts. These five directions will help us approach communion with eagerness and expectancy, with rejoicing and in a spirit of reverence. Number one, we recalibrate by looking upward. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The word received and delivered are technical terms describing the accurate conveying of the exact words of the Lord. The Apostle Paul saying, these are the exact words that I am to write. Who do the words come from? They come from Jesus Christ the Lord who is now seated at the right hand of God the Father and therefore we are to submit and we're to surrender to him and line our lives up under his lordship. Take some time right now and recalibrate your lives under his lordship. Number two, we remember by looking backward. A word to remember from Jesus himself that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. We just read that, right, in the Gospel of Luke. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So twice we're told in this passage to remember what Jesus did for us. So one reason we celebrate communion, we're commanded to. But secondly, the celebration of communion helps us remember because you and I tend to forget. Now, there's widespread disagreement related to the Lord's Supper among different denominations, so I'm not going to develop these points. I'm happy to at some other time, but let me just make two quick points. The bread and the cup, number one, serve as memorials of the Lord's death. They don't mystically become his body or blood. And number two, we're remembering his death. We're not repeating the sacrifice. So take some time to look back and remember what Jesus has done for you. Number three, we repent by looking inward. And that's where this becomes very personal. It's time to examine your heart and to repent from any sin the Spirit brings to mind. 
I'm in verses 27 and 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we're not to approach the Lord's table in a trite manner. Here are two questions. Make sure you can answer these. Number one, am I saved? Communion is a table, a memory, a a meal for believers. Secondly, am I surrendered? If you're saved, are you surrendered to Him? Examine your attitudes and your affections, your actions, and make sure you're surrendered. Take some time now and go ahead and look inward and repent. Number four, we reconcile by looking outward. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread. Verses 33 to 34, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So communion is a time for us to look around and see if we're in community with everyone that God brings to mind. You see, Jesus has made us one, so we need to act accordingly this is stated clearly in first corinthians ten seventeen. because there's one bread we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread communion is meant to be communal take some time now to examine your relationships and be ready be quick to reconcile those Number five, we rejoice. It's the time where smiles should come across our face by looking forward. Verse 26, <coughs> for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're to look back, remember the cross, look forward, and know that a crown, Jesus is coming wearing a crown. He's coming back again. The word proclaim means to announce publicly, to declare, to publish, to perpetuate. So the bread and the cup tell the story of redemption, and they look ahead in anticipation of a glorious banquet to come. In that sense, communion's like a spiritual appetizer for a future feast. And we're called to remember this meal. So take some time now to look forward in anticipation to the return of Jesus and rejoice.